bulletin. I also want to mention that Jesus makes a full explanation of this parable to the disciples farther along in the book of Mark in verses 11 through 20, and I'll be referring to that throughout the message this morning. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray together. Make the book live to me, O Lord. Show me yourself within your word. Show me myself and my Savior, and make the book live to me. Amen. I picked this passage this morning because of some interaction I've had with two different people recently. It seemed to me I could see in these individuals aspects of the parable of the sower. The more time I spent preparing the message, though, I came to realize I was making judgments about them that were subjective. I did, however see my own shortcomings and inadequacies. And I prayed this to the Lord for making me aware. And I was and am thankful for Christ my Savior that I need every day. So why did Jesus teach using parables? He did this as a judgment against those outside and as a means of instructions for those inside his newly formed messianic community of faith. We are told that a very large crowd gathered about him, which is why Jesus got in a boat. He went out a little way from the shore so he could face the entire crowd, in effect using the boat as a pulpit. During his three-year ministry, Jesus was flexible in selecting an audience or allowing an audience to select him as the speaker. In all these situations, he was always the teacher. He spoke to anyone who was willing to listen. He spoke to crowds, the twelve, separate individuals, publicans and sinners, men but also women, Jews but also non-Jews, the poor as well as the rich. To all he proclaimed the good tidings. 
Now, it's probably safe to assume then that not everyone in that crowd were part of his messianic community of faith. Perhaps some were there just out of curiosity to see him, while others were truly there to be taught. This is the reason for using parables. Along with the first word in the passage, which was listen, but a lot of people are just let the words go in one ear and out the other. They weren't good listeners. I know I'm not a real good listener. And I can't even hear that well anymore. What's the difference between listening and hearing? Well, hopefully we're going to find out along the way this morning. So even after speaking this parable to the crowd, later when he was alone with the disciples and others, he had to explain the parable of the sower when they asked questions about the parables. So starting in chapter 4, verse 11, he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And when he said, lest they turn and be forgiven, yes, that was a warning, but there was also room for repentance in that remark. When Jesus explains the parable to the disciples, he doesn't exactly state but it's very evident that he is the sower in this parable. He did, however, say the seed is the word. In verse 14, he said the sower sows the word. So yes, it is Jesus as the sower in the parable, but it could be Pastor Chris in this church on any given Sunday. It could be any of you in a Bible study with others, or right now it's even me up here. A first reading of this parable of the sower tempts one to think, what kind of careless farmer is this who casts good seed on a pathway or rocky terrain or amongst thorn bushes? Well, just looking at it as any farmer, especially one in Palestine of that time period, it probably had more to do with the broadcast method of sowing and the fact that they did a lot of tilling after they sowed the seed. I know I had a tree last year go down by the shore of my lake, and I never cleaned it up till just in the past few days. I cut up the big limbs, and I hauled them away, and I raked up all the little sticks, and the grass was pretty much killed out, so I wanted to plant some grass seed. I got one of those small little crank-type spreaders, But uh, I was already preparing this message, and I thought, well, I'll give it a crack like the farmers did in ancient Palestine. So I got my sack of seed, and I started pitching it out, and big clumps of seed here, not very much there, and, and even some of it went into the lake along the shoreline, and the little fish started gobbling it up like crazy. It was easy to see then why Jesus used this in his parable. But knowing that Jesus is the sower, we can very quickly eliminate the idea of carelessness. 
as he never did anything that didn't have meaning and a purpose. This is evidenced in the Old Testament reading this morning in the last verse in the passage, verse 11, where it said, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. When you think about it, this is a story about failure. Different kinds of failures, but eventually successes. It's also important that we take notice of each of these failures because they occur at different stages in the maturation process. First, the seed scattered along the path doesn't even germinate. The second withers away as soon as it sprouts up in the rocky soil. And the third grows, but it doesn't seem to produce any fruit because it's choked out by the thorns. And finally, the seed produces a crop in good soil. Part of the message here seems to be that no matter how much failure there is, it is the sower's job to continue to sow in hope and leave the results in God's hands. But there's also a reassurance that there would be notable successes. Some have thought to locate the focus of the parable solely on the sower and on the sowing. But this can't be the whole truth because... What makes a difference in this story is the different types of soil. Notice that the sower, the seed, and the method remain the same throughout. This strongly suggests then that the real point has to do with the reception of the seed. Whether one's hard-hearted, soft-hearted, distracted, or attentive will affect how and whether one receives the message that Jesus is proclaiming. And he, Jesus even went on to explain this, that the different soils represent our human hearts and how we receive the word and that in, then is the real point of this parable. Methinks that it takes a humble heart to receive the word anyway and accept it, not to put ourselves in the way. I think too often today people are looking for a different approach to receiving the word one that entertains, one that amuses, when the never-changing Word of God is totally sufficient. When all that's needed to be different is how our soil receives the seed. Let's look more at these soil types then. First, in verse 4, he talks about the seed that fell along the path and then explains it in verse 15 where it says, And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. I had mentioned earlier that some of the crowd were not there to listen and learn from Jesus, but merely curious. They may have had some casual interest, but felt his words were irrelevant to them. If you'd have been there and could have asked one of those folks in that crowd, they might have given you a response, something like, I like this Jesus, I like his stories, 
but I don't understand them. When he talks about sin and repentance, who's he talking about anyway? Definitely not talking about me. It's also stated in his explanation in verse 15 that behind this kind of non-belief is Satan at work. This then is an example of a heart that is the soil on the pathway. We will never be able to understand what God is saying to us with a detached curiosity. Second, let's look at the rocky ground described in verse 5 and 6 and explained in verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. God explains that the hearts represented here respond to the word immediately with joy. It appears to invoke an emotional response. The response could be genuine, the beginning of an eternal transformation. Time only tells. Emotional responses are not hard to create, though. I mean, just look at different musicians, charismatic pastors, uh, storytellers. They do it every day. I'm not saying that these are necessarily bad things. I'm just saying it takes more than an emotional response to walk with Christ every day. There are things that happen along the way. There's sickness, there's grief, there's loss, and the list goes on. Some days we, we do better at living in Christ than others. That's what builds our roots, our faith in Christ. Returning to the cross every day. So if it's just simply an emotional response and you think the sun shines all the time, well, you better look out because it's going to get real hot real quick. It's going to get scorching hot. And I also think it's interesting when Jesus is explaining the part of the parable about the scorching hot sun, he said in verse 17, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately they fall away. On account of the word? That's interesting. You mean we face persecution just for our belief in Christ? Thankfully, not like some Christians in other parts of the world. I mean, I know we've, we've been talking about Dan Bauman, the missionary imprisoned in Iran. I mean, he's definitely taken persecution that we don't have to face here. And now the thorns from verse 7, as explained in verse 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The pressure here is not from an in external source, but rather it's an internal pressure which we create. It's about divided loyalties. We make our own plan for our life. We set our course. And over time, we can become unrecognizable from the Christian we once were. 
We don't worship like we once did. We don't seem to care for others like we once did. And what does this to us? Well, it's the worries of this life. The things we worry about aren't necessarily bad things. We just start worrying the wrong way. It's our self-sufficiency, I suppose. An example would be we worry about our children. Will they be successful? Our job will be there tomorrow. What will I do if I lose my job? Will I have enough money to pay the bills or secure my future? These kinds of worry can choke out our fruitfulness. Over time, we lose interest in the things of the kingdom, worrying about the wrong things. Jesus told us himself in Matthew chapter 6 not to be anxious about our lives, what we eat, what we drink, or our body, or what we put on it, that life is more than food and clothing for our bodies. And besides, all this anxiousness won't add one hour to our lives. I especially like Matthew 6.34, where Christ said, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. God knows we need all these things. He tells us first to seek His kingdom and all things will be added to you. It's like we get it backwards. We just think we're always in the driver's seat and in control of everything. I don't know about you guys, but I struggle with this one every doggone day. And if it's not the worries of the world, Jesus goes on to explain that It's the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things that they enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And now, after these failures, let's look at the fourth type of soil. And this is described in verse 8 and explained in verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. We are told right away that the ones who hear and accept the word and bear fruit. And I think it's noteworthy that he says it this way, and not that we hear and accept, therefore we will bear fruit. Because we do have some responsibility in this. Otherwise, wouldn't we be just like the folks in the thorn bush? Jesus tells us in John 15 that He is the true vine and His Father is the vine dresser. That every branch that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And the branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will bear even more fruit We can't bear fruit in our own, on our own. We have to abide in the vine, namely Jesus. Apart from Him, we can't do anything. So hearing and accepting God's Word is our pathway to understanding and being transformed by it. Our works of gratitude and love, all to the glory of God. 
And you will notice in your bulletin this morning, there's a quotation from Joachim Jeremias that I'd like to read. To human eyes, much of the labor seems to be futile and fruitless, resulting apparently in repeated failure. But Jesus is full of joyful confidence. He knows God has made a beginning. Bring with it a harvest of reward beyond all asking or conceiving. In spite of every failure and opposition from hopeless beginnings, God brings forth a triumphal end, which he has promised. And I'd also like to end my message this morning with a quote from an English theologian named F.B. Meyer. And I really thought this was interesting on this passage because he says in one paragraph what I've been struggling for the past few minutes trying to get across. He said, Note the perils of the hearer, that you may guard against the waste of precious seed. There is a grave peril in the effect of light, fanciful, wandering thoughts. There is a great peril also in the mere emotional response, the straightaway springing up, which has no root, because the heart is hard. There is danger, lest the cares of the poor, the riches of the wealthy, and the too eager pursuit of things by other classes may drain away the strength of the soul, so that the word of God shall be a slender stalk without an ear or fruit. It is not enough to hear the word. We must accept it and bear fruit. Otherwise, the plowing, sowing, and all the operations of nature are in vain. Live up to what you know. Obedience is the key to understanding. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you for letting us see you in your word this morning. We thank you for letting us see ourselves and the condition of our own soil. We pray all these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ.